1: They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially, no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. The Telegraph. The Telegraph. Podcasts.
0: I'm David Knowles, and this is Ukraine. The latest. Today, we bring you updates from across Ukraine, including a live report from Bucha, a year on from the city's liberation. And we interview two-time Olympian Vladislav Haraskevich on Russian and Belarusian inclusion in international sports. Bravery takes you through the most unimaginable hardships to finally reward you with victory.
2: This hideous and barbaric venture
0: of Vladimir Putin must end in failure. We need a military strategy for Ukraine to gain a decisive advantage on the battlefield to win the war.
3: Nobody's going to break us. We're strong. We're Ukrainians.
0: Every weekday afternoon, we sit down with leading journalists from the Telegraph London newsroom and our teams reporting on the ground to bring you the latest news and analysis on the war in Ukraine. It's Friday, the 31st of March. One year and 35 days since the full-scale invasion began. And today I'm joined by our Associate Editor Dominic Nichols, our Defence Editor Daniel Sheridan, and Vladislav Heraskevich, Ukrainian skeleton racer. I started by asking Dom for the latest updates from the war.
2: Well, hi, David. Hi, everybody. So, Kharkiv, Ukraine's second city in the northeast of the country. That was hit last night by a number of missiles. The local regional governor said at least nine Russian missiles had hit civilian infrastructure and private residential buildings. No no deaths we think minor injuries the uh, the government has said that some of the missiles exploded in the air which implies the air defense was working but that's um no more details known there um, elsewhere butcher so it's a year three hundred and sixty five days since the the city was was Retaken by Ukraine. This is just to the north of Kyiv. Volodymyr Zelensky has said that, um, that the country is going to quote, never forgive Russia for its occupation. He said 365 days since it is free, Ukrainian city once again, a symbol of the atrocities of the occupying country's army. We will never forgive. We will punish every perpetrator, unquote. We'll hear more from Butcher, uh, from Danny shortly. Uh, Then separately, uh, Finland's accession to NATO to uh, step closer. Uh, Well, I mean, it's it's virtually done now. So Turkey's parliament approved the bill. Turkey was holding up the the accession of uh, Finland and Sweden. And they had originally those countries and NATO wanted them to join together, but because of the difficulties between Turkey and Sweden over... uh, Turkey is alleging that that Sweden's harbouring terrorists, that they they want extradited back to the country. Um, There's a difficulty there with Sweden's um, membership bid, so they've separated the two, and Finland is is all set to join now that Turkey has approved the bill. So Jens Stoltenberg, the NATO Secretary-General, said it's only a matter of days now. Uh, In a quote he said, I look forward to raising Finland's flag at NATO headquarters in the coming days. Together we are stronger and safer. So Turkey was the last of the the 30 members in, in NATO at the moment, so the last member to, to ratify uh, Finland's bid. Hungary was uh, thought Hungary might be a, a bit of a, a sticky wicket as well, but they approved it earlier this week and um, now we're just waiting to see what will happen about Sweden. The next one on Belarus. So President Alexander Lukashenko, he was in a, in a standard scheduled address to the nation. This is not like a you know, panic newsflash or anything, but a sta- scheduled address to the nation. He said that Putin would use, quote, the most awful, unquote, weapons if he thought that Russia would collapse. Lukashenko was calling for a ceasefire and for for. St- for talks to start, um, but said, uh, quote, it is impossible to defeat a nuclear power, unquote. I mean, it's not. He's wrong there. Have a look at Vietnam and Afghanistan for Russia, Afghanistan for the US, Afghanistan for the UK. Do I need to keep going on? Um, so he's wrong there. It is possible to defeat a nuclear power conventionally. Not easy, but it can be uh, can be done. Uh, Lukashenko went on, uh, quote, if the Russian leadership understands that the situation threatens to cause Russia's disintegration, it will use the most awful weapon. This cannot be allowed, unquote. Um, yeah, OK. I mean, he's, he's doing his bit to rattle the nuclear sabre the same as Putin has been doing Um, I think this is all part of trying to influence, trying to message the the West rather than Ukraine directly but Lukashenko said that Russia's plans to deploy lower yield nuclear weapons, shorter range I don't want to use the term tactical because it it muddies the waters. In fact we've got a video explainer on the on the website now, today, went up a couple of hours ago, about nuclear weapons and why I find the terms to tactical and strategic unhelpful. Have a look at that. But um this this talk, so if you remember Putin last Saturday said that he was going to move some nuclear weapons into Belarus. Lukashenko is saying that um to do so, this is a chance to safeguard Belarus from Western threats. So, you know, back into the narrative that it's all NATO, it's all the West, etc. Um, he went on that the West is building up its military forces in Poland on Belarus's borders and planning to invade and destroy it. I mean, he, he may he may have, you know, gone overboard at right at the end there, jumped the shark, as we say. Um, but the rest of it is all fairly standard stuff. I mean, you know, Lukashenko is the victim in an abusive relationship with Russia, basically. he's He's got to do what he's told. He's got to play up to Putin in Moscow. He is not able to make his own independent decisions for, for the country, especially when it comes to standing up to the West. So, you know, I think we should take what he says with a with a you know, massive, massive dose of uh, a pinch of salt there. Um, and finally, uh, Russia, there's an objection to Russia sitting on the UN Security Council. So, U.S. Ambassador to the United Nations, Linda Thomas-Greenfield, she gave an interview to AFP and said that Russia shouldn't be uh, allowed to keep its permanent seat on the U.N. Security Council. She said, quote, Russia is a permanent member of the Security Council. It shouldn't be because of what it is doing in Ukraine. But the U.N. charter does not allow for a change in its permanent membership. Now, I, I agree with her. Russia is going to assume the rotating presidency of the Security Council on Saturday uh, for for a month. And uh, Ms. Uh, Thomas-Greenfield said, although she she expects Russia to behave professionally, her word, professionally in the presidency, she did have her doubts. She said, uh, we also expect that they will seek opportunities to advance their disinformation campaign against Ukraine, the United States and all our allies at every opportunity We will raise our concerns about Russia's actions. And just finally, finally, because I forgot the last bit, um, John Kirby, who's the White House National Security Council spokesman, he said that Russia is going to be sending a delegation to North Korea to offer food in exchange for weapons uh, that it needs for the for the war. Uh, and as part of his proposed deal, Mr. Kirby is saying that Russia is go- looking to receive over two dozen kinds of weapons and munitions from Pyongyang. So that, again, that's just broken in the last couple of hours.
0: We will uh, we'll keep tabs on that. Thank you very much for that, Tom. Danny Sheridan, it's really great to have you back on the podcast. Would you tell us a little bit about where you are and what you're seeing?
1: Um, I am right now in Bucha, which Dom mentioned um, is today commemorating its one year anniversary since it was liberated from the Russians. I've been here for a few days now and I was here last year um, as, you know, images of what the Russians had committed shocked the world. We saw the bodies lying in the streets, um, the the column of Russian tanks that had been ambushed by Ukrainians, um, and in doing so destroyed an entire street um, of homes. Um, we all remember the image of the the man on the bicycle um, who was left by the side of the road. And today. It couldn't be more different. There's a huge regeneration project going on to rebuild the city. Um, As I'm talking to you, I'm actually sat outside a shopping centre, which was obliterated this time last year. I mean, you can still see all the shrapnel shrapnel wounds on the facade of the building. But when we used to drive up and down the street, um, the whole building had been looted Um, every single bit of uh, glass window had been smashed and now it's um that is completely brand new it it, it looks completely brand new and if you go into it it's a really affluent shopping center and there's lots of eateries and um it's just a world away from what it was and um street basically became legendary because it's where this column of Russian armoured vehicles were ambushed by the Ukrainians. And um, you, you could barely see um, the ground because there was so much, you know, shrapnel and and armory um, covering the street and Zelensky. Actually attended the street earlier. Unfortunately, I didn't see him. Um, he was too far away from us, and obviously, he travels with such intense security. It was difficult to get close. But um, local residents had come out. It was really sweet. Loads of children were waving the Ukrainian flag and sharing sweets among each other. And there's just a real sense of excitement that, like, they might see the president. Um, but you know, him coming to Bucha in person and and coming to Voksauna Street, which as i said became so legendary is really important and and it signifies how much the people of butcher um have come along since um they were liberated last year um it's really miraculous to see actually and and um well i have a story going into tomorrow's paper and there's um if you look online there'll be video footage of, of what i'm talking about but voxana street today is incredible um maple trees are being planted either side of the road and um, pavements have been completely rebricked. there are 40 new houses and then 87 that were renovated i mean it it looks incredible and it's so crazy to think that um this has all been done in in basically the space of like three to four months so um i think that commemorating a year since they were liberated is really important because it also shows how far the people of Butcher have come and everything they've achieved um, since that liberation. And it really just speaks to the resilience of the Ukrainian spirit.
0: Danny, may I ask, um, you talked about this sort of mix of emotions, how well Butcher is doing now in, 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 in the sort of how it's, as you said, how it's come along from a year ago. But as I understand it, you were at the um, commemoration today at the cemetery for people who were murdered during the occupation. Can you tell us a little bit about that and and what was the atmosphere there? What did people say?
1: It was very sombre. Basically, a number of relatives who lost people during the invasion came to Butcher Cemetery today to basically partake in a service. Um, to honor the dead um the priest from um, Butcher's church where um if you remember there was there was a mass grave dug behind it in order to store a number of victims' bodies um last year he 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 was in attendance and he was talking to to relatives and There were lots of tears and people were stood around holding bouquets of yellow and blue flowers and lots of people were crying and and there were prayers being read and they said glory to Ukraine and and some beautiful music was played. And I think the gist of what was being said was that um, they won't forget what happened and that those who perished during the invasion will always be in their thoughts but yeah it's it 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 is um whilst i i speak with such enthusiasm about how much future has come along and all the brilliant kind of regeneration projects that are underway are um i think obviously this is a people that have been incredibly scarred and traumatized by what they um what was inflicted upon them and um that kind of um level of feeling it, it is really palpable um, when you go to places like the cemetery and I was at Beach Cemetery the other day and so many fresh graves had been dug um, with the Ukrainian flag um, kind of stuck between each grave um, representing um, soldiers who who had died uh, and it, there's also a patch of this cemetery where um, people haven't been identified so All that marks these people is literally a wooden cross and a number, which is really sad. Um, So, yeah, it's a real it's a real mix of mix of emotions here.
0: Yeah, it sounds it. Thank you very much for sharing. Just wanted to get a sense from you as well. I mean, you're talking to lots of lots of local people over the last few days and today. What kind of stories are they telling you? Do you get a sense of how their lives have changed in the last year?
1: Well, Yes, and if you, I encourage people to buy the paper tomorrow because I, I do write about this in detail for tomorrow's paper. But um, we attended some therapy sessions um, which have been provided for the citizens of Butcher to basically come together and, and twice a week practice art therapy to, to talk through the atrocities that they saw and um, I find it really interesting how therapy is being used because of lots of people I've spoken to in Ukraine say oh you know therapy was a Western concept um, it's for rich middle class people you know we don't we, we, we're not interested in that there's a kind of like stiff upper lip mentality almost and um, reluctantly a number of people have started going to therapy. And we attended um, a few of these sessions in Butcher with, um, it's all women that come, men so far haven't been willing to come along to the sessions, but they have all said that whilst initially they were really reluctant to, to come along and talk about their feelings, um, through doing this art therapy, they have noticed a massive change in their mental health. Um Every woman I spoke to started crying um, as she was talking about what she had seen and the family members they had lost or the friends that had been killed. So the trauma is still so vivid, but they are all telling me that they are in a better place than they could have ever imagined because of this therapy. Um, and that's really amazing that you know it's being provided free of charge because therapy is expensive, um, but. I think it goes to show that um the people of Butcher are working on their mental health as much as they are rebuilding shopping centres and homes.
0: Thank you very much, Danny Sheridan. Um, Dom, I know you've got a couple of questions. Yeah, sure. Hi, Danny. Uh,
2: great to hear from you. The regeneration you've just described there, are, are there any indications where the money is coming from? Is it lo- local help or are there sort of big banners saying donated by the EU or other international organisations, or other private sector organisations? Any idea where the, where the help is coming from?
1: Yeah, there is international money coming in. And then there's also stuff from Butcher City Council and um, the regional oblast um, level is supplying funds and it's going to cost hundreds of millions of, of, of pounds. But I was told from the mayor of Butcher, um, Anatoly Federico, that they are um, cooperating with a global foundation, uh, but he didn't want to say which one. So funds are coming
2: in from far and wide. Just one, one other question. If you're, whilst you're on, Danny, what, what's the mood amongst the fighting age males? I mean, are you seeing people still actively going to recruiting offices to go and, to go and join up? Are there still the adverts, the posters around uh, encouraging people to sign up? Is there any pressure do you feel from society for men to to go and uh, to go and join up?
1: From men I've spoken to a fighting age, there certainly is an underlying sense of pressure. Um, Some I've spoken to say that they feel guilty that they aren't fighting. Um, The common um, scenario I'm given is I'm sat in a coffee shop drinking coffee and I see a load of guys in uniform come in and it just makes me feel really guilty that I should be doing that. And, um, obviously i've made friends since i've been out here and and one of my good friends um her fiance has since been called up and he's now in back and um he didn't put himself forward he was called in to um his hometown the office in his hometown and was told he had to go so they are still actively recruiting people and even if you're not putting yourself forward um it is likely that you will be called upon, as I understand. Um, but, you know, once, once that call is in place, even if uh, I'm thinking of my friend's fiancé, even if that wasn't what he had been initially keen to do, he's gone in there, he's rolled up his sleeves, and, you know, he's he's working really hard. And um, it, it, they don't shy away from the task. It might not be something that they actively wanted to do, but when the call happens they are doing it and they're doing it proudly.
0: Well, thank you very much, uh, Danny Sheridan, Defence Editor out in show. It was really great to have you back on and hear about your reporting and your work out there. So thank you so much for joining us, Danny.
1: Good watching, you.
0: Well, it's a great pleasure to welcome back um, to the podcast today Vladislav Um Vladislav, we've spoken before about some of the broader issues of international sport and the invasion of Ukraine and the position of Russian and Belarusian athletes. Um, Would you just, first of all, remind our audience about your own career, your own life, and just give us a sense of what it's been like for you in the past year?
3: Hello. Uh, First of all, thanks uh, for having me here. And uh, yeah, so uh, we have... A lot of directions of our work, and uh, so let's start from from some good one. It's a uh, competitions, and last year, uh, last season was uh, Russian athletes and in, uh, was included in our sports, and we had uh, really great competitions with uh, really peaceful environment, and it was really nice. Uh, and uh, I was glad that we uh, made this season, and uh, we was able to compete. Uh, second thing, uh, what we do uh, this uh, also already a year, even more. We have a charity foundation, and it also uh, works very, very well. Uh, our Hiraskevich Charity Foundation. And uh, uh, we have also a few projects. Uh, and uh, now, because of season, we little bit rebuilt our work, and we're able to work... Uh, online and uh, we have some people on the ground and uh, also now we uh, finished our biggest projects at example it was uh, humanitarian aid from uh, USA from our friends from charity foundation little wings relief and uh, it's container, forty feet container, and a lot of medicaments. So very, very important. I eat also few another big campaigns with uh, Ukrainian operations and uh, with others like from with Portugal, some people from Portugal. Also another direction is charity trainings for kids. So uh, as I think you s- you follow some latest news about I C, uh, they really uh, showing not the brightest time of uh, sports but sport uh, overall it's about good thing and uh, we try to provide rehabilitation through the sport for the kids uh, who uh, was uh, in this nightmare time in Ukraine, uh, in occupation time in their native cities and now we try to provide them some support through the sports and some kind of rehabilitation. So that's what we do now and latest of course it's uh, we try to show our opinion of the athletes to IOC latest decisions.
0: Well, thank you very much, Vladislav, for that summary. Um, Let's talk then about the IOC. Um, There's quite a lot of news out in the last week. Um, Let's start. Let's go back to Sunday and start there. This is um, um, getting this from the Associated Press, who've who've been writing this up, um, quoting them. Russian athletes who have actively served in the military invasion of Ukraine should be allowed to return to international sports if they did not take part in war crimes, according to a United Nations expert advising the International Olympic Committee. Um, You've been very closely involved uh, in in this story. Could you explain what happened and what your position is?
3: Yeah, so first of all, uh, I'm also... uh uh, a, a representative of the Athletic uh, Commission of National Olympic Committee of Ukraine, and we got a meeting uh, before the latest decision and last Friday. So a week ago we had a meeting with uh, Mrs. Ksantaki. She is uh, one of the special reporters of the United Nations and uh, with global network of athletes. Uh, so originally it should be kind of a discussion, but it wasn't discussion, it was a speech from Ksantaki, and we were able to ask one uh, and one short question uh, and my question was for her it's uh, is she think that russian athletes uh, russian soldiers sorry are guilty in this war and if yes if they are guilty uh, so for me it sounds logically uh, then are uh, uh, russian athletes who are also part of military structures or other uh, government structures uh, are they also guilty in this war and the third question like it's just like quick one so about this in uh, she is also now in atlas commission of ioc and she is major of russian army and she is clear also propagandist and uh, it's a person who have personal sanctions from ukraine for 50 years so i asked why she is still in this commission and why she is still able to take some decisions and uh, in uh, this press conference firstly i hear that uh, Mrs. Ksantaki doesn't think that uh, Russian soldiers should take any responsibility for this war uh, if if they not commit genocide or war crimes, uh, of course, if, if, if it was proven. So uh, then uh, we had uh, some conversation, yes, yeah, so like in a Twitter, it was pretty public and uh, we understand from this conversation and from replies of uh, uh, representatives of uh, Ukrainian United Nations that uh, special reporter of United Nations it's a uh, independent mandate holder so like she expressed her personal opinion also another important thing that uh, on this meeting uh, we see that uh, uh, Kseniaki is not really uh, deep into the topic of sport, so she doesn't really know that uh, Russia last three Olympic Games compete under natural flag. So, uh, and we got uh, another question: well, Why we took your opinion as a, some uh, important opinion? Why we took your opinion into account uh, in our, like IFC took your opinion into account in decisions? Because uh, we got. A completely opposite decision about uh, topics of human rights from another expert Patricia Vieter, and she was uh, also in our press conference, and you can find it uh, also in, in in my page. Uh, and uh, yeah, so we get completely opposite uh, uh, overall view on on this uh, on this topic, and it's interesting why uh, they took your opinion. So it it's uh, what uh, yeah about Mrs. Xantaki.
0: Thank you for that explanation. I, I realize this is obviously a very big um, news point in in Ukraine. Uh, how do you explain your position to people outside the country when, when you're trying to persuade them to, to 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 agree with your point of view? how do you set that argument out
3: yeah so first of all uh, let's some back in time yeah throw back in time and uh, war starts not 24th uh, february yeah so war starts in 2014 and uh, it starts from olympic games literally when russia h- host olympic games and uh, it full invasion starts when uh, was, ho- uh, was olympic games 2022 uh, between olympic games and paralympic games so uh, you you should be blind to not see a connection and uh, of course it's very comfortable time when image of russia is uh, high to start invasion, to start uh, occupied territories. Secondly, uh, it's impossible to separate Russian artists from Russian government because they get financial support from government. They get uh, financial support from uh, companies who are under sanctions. Uh, They uh, are part of military uh, and they pretty actively also support military. They uh, being part of war propaganda and of course, the increased soft power of of, of Russia, uh, and uh, yeah, so sport is a big, big part in uh, Russian uh, propaganda uh, war. That's absolutely fascinating. Can I can I ask? So the Greek
0: lawyer Zanthaki later wrote, and this is the AP copy I've got here, clarified that it was usual that, quote, men all around the world are conscripted to take part in wars and have to follow orders. She also referred to uh, illegal aggressive conflicts in Syria, Afghanistan, Israel and Iraq. Continuing the quote now, we cannot hold all men who participate in illegal wars by their states following orders responsible. Those who perform crimes, we must. I was just wondering your reaction to that uh, and what you'd say to that.
3: Yeah, so I even ask like if if somebody ask uh, you to to kill someone, and like uh, you willingly and gladly do it, she say uh, no. In time of war, it's it's you are not guilty. So literally, uh, you can do whatever you want in in her opinion, and even illegal war, it's um, yeah. So nothing for her, uh, and uh, it's it, you shouldn't take responsibility. So in this case, uh, I see that. Uh, it's just a few persons in Russia who are guilty in this war. But uh, in my opinion, it's pretty simple. So if these soldiers not following the tasks, then we don't have a war. It's pretty simple, and uh, I don't see another another uh, in, in like thinking that so like if they're following the task if they're killing Ukrainians they can take part in uh, and, and first of all they should take responsibility and secondly they shouldn't take part in the Olympic Games because if we talk about sports and Olympic Games we have some values behind it, we have Olympic Charter and uh, main thing in Olympic Charter is a peaceful movement and uh, now, uh, if Russian murderers who was uh, yesterday on the front lines, they go in uh, on the sport arenas, uh, they become in, in kind of an idol for a young generation, and I don't want to be like for uh, I don't want to have uh, murderers as uh, idols for young generation and for future. So uh, for me, it's pretty simple that they are not representatives uh, of peace. They are uh, criminals and they should take responsibility for crimes because illegal war, in my opinion, is already war crime. Uh, and uh, yeah, so uh, my, my opinion is, is, is like that.
0: Well, thank you very much for explaining that. Vladislav, can I ask, obviously, you you will know lots of your fellow Ukrainian athletes who are in the military, some of whom have, have been killed in the service uh, for the armed forces of Ukraine. Could you talk to us a little bit about um, the people you know who've ended up fighting for their country?
3: Yes, and uh, it's a very sad patient in uh, in total of Ukraine sports history. Uh, because, uh, yeah, so firstly, of course, we lose a lot of facilities, sport facilities, more than 400 sport facilities was destroyed. And just example, we was in Chernigiv, so Chernigiv uh, Gagarin Stadium, and uh, it's also Olympic centrum. And normally per month, it was three maybe 4,000 of people who are doing sports there. So now they don't have these facilities to do sport. And it's only one of the 400 facilities which was destroyed. But of course, facilities is not the most uh, bad thing what we lost. Uh, most worst in this war it's the lives it's the lives of great people and it's more than 270 uh, athletes who was killed in uh, ukrainian athletes who was killed in this war uh, and it's not fiction it's not like just random people and random names i know personally a lot of uh, uh, some some of these athletes who was killed so uh, we can start from uh, Maxim Galinachev uh, it's a boxer uh, he was a medalist in uh, the US Olympic Games in 2018 in Buenos Aires and uh, it's really hard to see that uh, he, he was killed and at the same time now uh, IBA, International Boxing Association uh, organized world championship and the head of federation uh, Krim Ljof, uh, is also a pawn of Putin It's cre- clearly he even changed his surname, family name to, to be more close to Putin and uh, now they organize world championship, and Russians allowed to compete with national, national anthem, with flags. They even invite some Russian officials into this uh, into this event. Another athlete, it's uh, also from athletics, uh, Vladimir Andreshuk. Uh, we also have some trainings together in athletics arena because we usually uh, when, when I'm training in Ukraine, I, we have trainings in athletics arena. So I know him and uh, it's, a, it's a big, big loss uh, for us. And uh, as we see, uh, Russian athletics guy, uh, a lot of, like Lisa Scannell, example, she is, uh, have, uh, she, she is officer of Russian army. And uh, it's, it's just uh, to compare. Uh, and third, uh, uh, and uh, for me, I think it's a guy who I know and uh, most related to me is Dmitro Sharper. We was together with him on the Youth Olympic Games in 2016 in uh, in Lillehammer. So he also skilled near Bachmut. And uh, at the same time, Russian uh, figure skaters, uh, some of them are on the front lines in Ukraine, uh, and they killing Ukrainians. And uh, of course, it's a, uh, for us, it's a big loss and uh, uh, it's terrifying to see news when you see your fellow colleagues from the sport uh, who was killed in this uh, illegal war.
0: Thanks very much, Vladislav, for sharing um, their stories. Can I just ask before I'm sure Dom will have some questions as well? But you mentioned right at the beginning of this interview that um, you know obviously the competitions continued for you. You've 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 been racing for your country. What's that been like for you? Have you found it um, difficult? Um, what, what's been the atmosphere around around these events when you compete?
3: Uh, first of all, it's amazingly hard. Like insanely hard to concentrate on a competition. When you get up on a competitions or like on a trainings, and uh, you open the news, you sh- you see shelling in your native city, or in- on another like uh, uh, city in Ukraine, you see this nightmares like of this which uh, going on in Ukraine. And of course, you can't be into the track, you can't be into the race. You, you just uh, can't can't find uh, your, your place like, and uh, you just. Uh, shocked of course when you see your fellow colleagues who was killed uh, it's even it's even worse and uh, it's very hard to be concentrated on a competition but at the same time it's very important uh, place to be competitions to spread information about ukraine to not uh, give people forgot about ukraine about your native country and what's going on um, at the same time you sometimes you feel also kind of a guilty when you see your fellow colleagues who was killed and uh, you think that it's also not 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 you're not feeling good because like you're here on the track you competing you are doing your career at the same time your colleagues are dying on the front lines uh, and it's hard it's it's very hard time and uh, since the beginning of war it's extremely hard time but uh, I'm glad that we're able to provide some support uh, with our charity foundation, and we' glad, I'm glad that we can uh, uh, continue to support uh, our people
0: Tom Nichols. I know you have a question yeah sure thanks hi
2: Vladislav. Thanks so much for joining us again. I just wonder if um, if there isn't a ban on Russian and Belarusian athletes, albeit with these caveats of you no know, flags, anthems, colors, you know all that kind of stuff, but there's no no ban on them competing in the Olympics. Do you think it's at all realistic to expect other athletes to to boycott, um, if not the games entirely, but let's say they, they get through the semi-finals to prove that they are at the top of their sport and the top their peak performance and then not carry through to a to any final that might include a, um, a Russian or Belarusian athlete to, to say look it, it is a it is a, sh- a sham Do you think that's just expecting too much from these the elite athletes who have worked so hard to get in that position?
3: Uh, so uh, we don't know decision about Olympics as you, as you say we will get this decision in 29th ninth July, so year uh, before Olympic Games, and uh, as we see now in uh, we have one federation like who firstly uh, allowed Russians and the Russians to compete in their uh, competitions in their qualifications to Olympic Games, it was fencing federation. And as we see, athletes are not uh, uh, good with that, and they already uh, prepare and like publish a letter with together with global athletes platform, and they had more than three hundred uh, signs of athletes from this sport. Uh, also some artists from asia from africa uh, because in some like uh, legend like fairy tale of thomas bach they tell that uh, whole south africa whole uh, uh, like uh, south america and like whole uh, asia uh, support uh, return of russian so it's it's also not not true because as we see in these letters some artists from asia they totally against this decision and uh, as you see like more than 300 artists against this decision and of course uh, I think some of the atlas will uh, also wouldn't uh, compete together with Russians on the one arena and for them it's also uh, will be pretty hard especially in some sports as a uh, judo as uh, the same yeah fencing uh, boxing uh, just imagine ukrainian athletes should go to the arena and like uh, make a wrestling match with a uh, uh, representative of uh, russian army like or people who get contract uh, with russian army like yesterday and now they're uh, civilians but they maybe they was in the front line even so uh, it's interesting to see how how also IOC will check these requirements and who will uh, go through these requirements and how they can prove, for example, that athlete had contract or not. Because uh, as I know, contract uh, uh, proof of contract is a contract and uh, it had two, two sides, yeah. So athlete and uh, army, Russian army or another government structure, yeah. So uh, who they ask uh, about contract? russian government or uh, uh, russian athletes and uh, who will be honest with them so it's a it's a also interesting point in 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 this uh, discussion uh, but of course i think uh, we need ta- to work even more about coalition and uh, we will see uh, where it will be led us to but uh, uh, of course decision of ioc it's a big slap in the face of uh, ukraine
0: well, thanks, Don, for the question. Uh, Vladislav, is there anything we haven't spoken about uh, or mentioned that you think is important for our listeners to hear?
3: Uh, I would say, yeah, some. Most important is continue to to support Ukraine in uh, any case if, if you can. Of course, if you have possibility, but support Ukraine. Don't forget uh, what's going on in the middle of Europe. And, uh, uh, of course, our first goal is to end war as soon as possible. And uh, secondly, goal in our sports, World is protect uh, sports arena international sports arena and uh, Serbia, of course to protect Ukrainian lives because uh, Russian propaganda, if it exists on sports arenas, it brainwashed more and more people and uh, more and more people from Russia. Uh, they convince that they are doing good thing and they go on the front lines and uh, these decisions of IOC can be count in the lives of uh, dead people and uh, it's not only about Ukrainian lives it's also about brainwashed Russian lives and uh, we should protect sports arena from propaganda and we should protect Ukrainian lives and uh, thank you all of, our, uh, all of you for your support and thank you for your work can I ask one
0: final question? Um, what does your schedule look like in, in the next few months? Are you training? Are there more competitions? Could you give us a sense of what your life is is, is going to be like?
3: Uh, I mentioned our work with uh, kids from charity training. So our uh, next plans, uh, next month we want to start uh, this kind of a project uh, with kids from the occupied Territories uh, who are really excited about Skeleton. And we want to try to make... Uh, Uh, give them opportunity to make a career in a skeleton. So we start from training camp at summer and uh, it will be led to uh, first of all, for some kids, for US Olympic Games in 2024 in Korea, and for some kids it will be led to US Olympic Games in 2028, who is like uh, for little kids. Uh, So as I see, uh, sport is a amazing, amazing tool for rehabilitation for these kids uh, because sports, first of all, if you talk about uh, some like sport exactly not about politics around it and not about Thomas Bach and IOC decisions and these board members. If you talk about sports, it's a good thing. It's uh, emotions and, it's of course, it's a good emotions and it's health. And uh, now my schedule. So I will start some trainings, also preparation before season. I hope uh, we will make it uh, next season also. And uh, in our sport, Russian and Russian atlas will be also suspended. And also, of course, now a lot of work in the uh, uh, direction of suspension and, and Belarusian and Russian athletes. We're taking a very active part. We organized some press conference and uh, it's, it was just, uh, two days ago, was just the first press conference, but it's just the beginning and we have uh, big, big plans in this direction. And uh, we are ready to make world uh, a better place uh, as an athlete and make Olympic movement better.
0: Vladislav Hariskevich, thank you so much for your time and best of luck with your training camp and your competitions. Is there anything you'd like to say for our very final thoughts today?
3: Yeah, I think it's, uh, I, I say what well, what I want. Of course, uh, I see decisions is uh, is right, Dom, DOM is completely right, it's very suspicious. Some things what they took in the basics is very suspicious. Of course, doping, it's also a big question because now they was isolated for a year. So it looks like they was free to use a doping. But some laboratories say they was independent and they work in Russia. But uh, Rusada was also independent. But as we remember, in the Social Olympic Games, it uh, led to the biggest doping scandal in Olympic history. And we know that they weren't independent. So... Uh it's really uh, interesting to see, like, who is uh, who is telling the truth. Uh, but also, uh, it was some uh, requirement from IOC that they should make some extra doping tests. But uh, head of uh, criminal, I would say criminal, uh, Poznikov, colonel of the Russian army, he says that they are not agreed to make uh, extra doping tests. So as I see, it's uh, just... Uh, they agree that they are guilty in doping use, but uh, we will see what IOC uh, will answer on on this, that quote. But of course, uh, this whole topic about IOC decision is very, very suspicious. In in any point of view, it's very suspicious. In uh, each point of decision, is very suspicious. With each commission meeting, with each private call, it's getting uh, worse and worse. But uh, I believe that uh, we can make it better and we can change it and we will try to do it thank you
0: thank you very much vladislav Uh, dom a final thought from you
2: just very quickly just to give you the the details so it's it's a a few weeks away but in June in London there's going to be the Ukraine Recovery Conference. Now this started in 2017 as the Ukraine Reform Conference, annual conference dedicated to the country's transformation Um, so it's been going on since then, since the full scale invasion changed its name. We need to keep an eye out on that. This is where senior representatives from the G7, other international groupings and and partners finance organisations and all the rest of it get together Um, and the the foreign office, British foreign office that are hosting it this year, they say the focus is going to be the mobilisation of international and private sector support for Ukraine. So that's coming up in late June. And, um, yeah, we just need to keep an eye on on how this is going to be organised. There's some. There was a conference here in London earlier this week where there were suggestions that maybe countries could sponsor uh, a sector or maybe a city and, and, and what have you. But, I mean, these are fraught with difficulties because everything is so, so interlinked but the whole issue of, of recovery and uh, regeneration is going to come to a head in in a, in a couple of weeks time really really get a bit of a kickstart which will obviously will obviously be there
0: ukraine the latest is an original podcast from the telegraph to stay on top of all of our ukraine news analysis and dispatches from the ground subscribe to the telegraph you can get your first three months for just one pound at www telegraph.co.uk forward slash Ukraine the latest or sign up to dispatches our Ukraine newsletter which brings stories from our reward-winning foreign correspondents straight to your inbox. We also have a Ukraine live block on our website where you can follow updates as they come in throughout the day including insights from regular contributors to this podcast. You can listen to this conversation live at 1pm each weekday on Twitter spaces. Follow the Telegraph on Twitter so you don't miss it. To our listeners on YouTube, Please note that due to issues beyond our control, there is sometimes a delay between broadcast and upload. So if you want to hear Ukraine The Latest as soon as it is released, do refer to podcast apps. If you enjoyed this podcast, please consider following Ukraine The Latest on your preferred podcast app. And if you have a moment, leave a review, as it helps others find the show. You can also get in touch directly to ask questions or give comments by emailing ukrainepod at telegraph.co.uk. We do read every message and you can contact us directly on Twitter. You can find our Twitter handles in the description for this episode. Ukraine The Latest is produced by Louisa Wells and Giles Gear, and today on Twitter, Rachel Duffy.